You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless, Three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon. Healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Jacqueline Johnson. We've all heard of the Boys Club. It exists. It's real. And they all Mm -hmm. share secrets and talk about what, you know, who their lawyer is, who their accountant is, what they're investing in. And women just weren't doing that. It wasn't part of our narrative at the time. And I really wanted to shift that to start creating those conversations. Jacqueline Johnson really created her career. By the time she was 28, Johnson had sold her first business, investing in multiple female-owned startups, and launched her second multi-million dollar company, Create and Cultivate. 
Johnson recognized a gap in conversations, resources, events, and community for female millennial entrepreneurs and responded with a solution. It's called Create and Cultivate, a media platform and nationwide conference. In the process, Jacqueline's own work-life philosophy built on the cornerstones of female empowerment, hustling hard, and innovation have propelled her voice to the forefront of the discussion on workplace equality. She is considered a new thought leader for millennial women and Gen Zs on the career come up. This passion for supporting female entrepreneurs has sparked her latest endeavor, New Money Ventures, a venture capital firm and brand studio on a mission to fund and build the next generation of game-changing female-led companies. She's a Forbes 30 under 30, an Adweek disruptor and profiled in Fast Company, the LA Times, Entrepreneur, and more. Please enjoy my interview with Jacqueline Johnson. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? Great. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on to Dine for the podcast. I so appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm really excited to be here. Fantastic. Well, I'd love to begin the podcast the way I start all my podcasts, which is asking the guest, what is their favorite restaurant? I really feel like someone's favorite restaurant begins to tell their story. So are you California-based? I am California-based, L.A. All right. So is your favorite restaurant in L.A.? Oh, my gosh. I, now is this is so hard because I feel like there's like special occasion dining. And then there's, of course, like <laughs> it's a tough what one. we get every single week. Yes. Uh, I really love I would say the place I order from the most and also like love dining is Kismet in Los Angeles. I don't know Kismet. Yes. I've never heard of it. Tell me about it. Really good. It's female founded and run business. It's Mediterranean, which I also feel like in Los Angeles, like in New York, you can get such good Mediterranean food. Yes. But I feel like in LA, it's like not as common. Yes. Um, so they have this really great, I forget the name of it, but it's like the burnt rice on top and it kind of has like an egg in it. It's like so good. And I get that. And they just have a ton of like tahini and feta and roasted veggies and things like that. And it's so delicious. So it feels healthy, but also indulgent. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I also love dips, just like dipping Me too. in like different <laughs> breads and dips I can always get down with. And they do an amazing job at that. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Florida. So South Florida in Palm Beach Gardens area. Okay. And so I'm sure you have a love of like fresh seafood and like maybe one of your other options could have been a seafood restaurant because that really kind of harkens to home. Yeah. Well, Florida is so specific when it comes to like the type of fish and food, like mm -hmm. fish dip in Florida. Like my husband and I joke, like we can't wait to, we want to have fish dip every single time we come to Florida because you really can't get that anywhere else. It's such a specific thing. And it's like that yes. smoky fish dip. It's so good. So yes, we definitely love that. Every time we go to Florida, there's so many amazing like macadamia nut crusted, you know, hog snapper or whatever it is. And it's so delicious, but seafood here and seafood there is like completely different. Well, I can't wait to dive into your creation of Create and Cultivate because it's such a brilliant idea. But I know that you had to have almost an entire life before that to dream up the idea. So take me back to your beginnings of your career and your experience as a young professional woman and how it led you to thinking there was a gap that Create and Cultivate could fit. 
Yeah, totally. So I was living in New York, going to school in New York, thought I was going to be a magazine editor, uh, like most women, because I feel like that was the only job on movies or TV shows or yeah. that, that women really <laughs> so had. True. So true. Devil Wears like, Prada. What I want to be. And I, you know, I was doing it. I had an internship at Condé Nast Traveler. Um, you know, I was really building up my resume in that field. I obviously was majoring in magazine production and ended up, you know, getting this quote unquote job offer from um, a big publication that was just the salary, I think, was $18,000 a year, something insane. Um, <laughs> in New York. I like, I, I, in New York, exactly. And I can't live, I was like, I can't live off this. And, you know, I knew that the hours were insane. So, I basically ended up stumbling into an agency job that, again, this is 2008 timing, where they were really kind of a new marketing company in terms of word of mouth marketing, internet marketing, social media wasn't even on the radar yet, but Mm -hmm. they were really first to market when it came to sort of thinking about social media as a marketing tool for larger brands. So I helped build out some of the first social media strategies for companies like Estee Lauder, Blue Fly. Mm. Um, Yeah. So these massive companies were were like, you should be on Facebook. And they're like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And so it was really fun to kind of be first to market in that. I ended up moving up quite quickly by becoming an expert in social media early on at different agencies and then ended up going in-house at IAC, which is a massive conglomerate Mm -hmm. um, that owns, you know, Tinder, weather.com, the daily beast, et cetera. And a social media director there, the recession hit and I was transferred or offered the opportunity to transfer to a sister company in Los Angeles with the same title, same everything and ended up doing that. And uh, was let go a few months later, which Hmm. drops me into my first company where I sort of was in Los Angeles, didn't know anyone, wasn't in the entertainment business, which at the time was like the only industry out here besides gaming and to take on freelance clients. And long story short, ended up starting my first company, which was called No Subject. Okay. So did you want to be an entrepreneur or did that sort of fall in your lap as out of necessity? Yeah, definitely did not want to be an entrepreneur. My, my parents are small business owners, entrepreneurs. And so I grew up around, you know, that lifestyle and obviously working all the time and things like that. For me, I definitely thought I was going to do the corporate track. You know, I was doing that from an early, early age and, you know, being successful at that and didn't really know anything other than that. The idea of like starting a new company in New York City felt extremely daunting. Daunting. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm 21. (laughs) Like, what am I talking about now? It's much more common. But basically when I got to Los Angeles and I ended up getting laid off, I sent an email out to my network just saying, Hey, I'm in LA. This is like what I'm good at. Like if anyone has any clients and had an amazing uh, response and was able to get some new clients, was able to then hire. And then all of a sudden I was like, I think I have a marketing agency. Business. <laughs> um, this could yeah. be a business. And so it was sort of an accidental entrepreneurship. And then I was in it and I couldn't imagine ever going back. And I like, remember like a recruiter reaching out to me, like he would reach out to me every couple of years and he stopped reaching out. I was like, Hey, are there like, you stopped reaching out to me. And he's like, well, you've kind of become unhirable since you just like run businesses now. And I always thought that was so <laughs> funny. Cause I was like, oh yeah, I guess I'll never have a normal job again. <laughs> well, let's talk about that too. Cause once you have your own sense of agency, right. And your own sense of creative control and vision, it really is hard to backtrack, isn't it? Definitely. Like, I think especially once you hit a certain timeline and threshold, like for me, I've run two different companies. I've been an entrepreneur for 15 plus years. Like 
I don't think I could go back to like punching a clock or like figuring out the new HR. Like, I just think it's like, I operate in such like a specific, quick, fast decision-making way. And I almost like know too much to like do that now, but yeah, it's weird. It's like, you kind of grow out of being able to work in a large corporation, I guess, or you could go in and shake it up, you know, in some way. Right. It's a completely different mindset. Because one is, you know, in the world of HR, being a good employee and then being a great visionary and strategic leader really are, are in, a, in a way, diametrically opposite. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So where did you come up with the idea for Create and Cultivate It? Was it always sort of percolating from your days in New York? Yeah. So basically, it actually really came to life, I think in Los Angeles, because in New York, I, again, I had this community of women that I worked with at my jobs. We would all hang out. Like we just had that sort of relationship built in when you're running a company by yourself in a new city, like it's really hard to meet people and make friends. And now obviously there's so many amazing female entrepreneurs and small business owners, but at the time there was like six of us. And so I basically wanted to selfishly like make friends and be able to talk about the struggles I was having um, or the successes and just kind of threw something together to see if anyone would be interested in attending. And that's really how Creighton Cultivate started. The first one was in 2011 at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs. We did this fun partnership. We, at the time, were doing a lot of like DIY workshops, panel conversations, and obviously had like this great dinner. And there was like 25 of us. Really? So the very first conference was only 25 women? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So tiny. So, wow. Okay. And so for people who aren't familiar with Create Cultivate, really, you are speaking to young women and giving them advice on everything from starting a business to how to thrive in a career and really talking to a group of women that very few people were talking to, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. We were first to market when it came to speaking to women as small business owners, entrepreneurs, and creatives. And now we provide the tools, tips, and tricks they need to go out and start a company, grow in their corporate track, all these different things. And our biggest thing and the, the biggest missing link was access, right? I was lucky enough to have had some success in my first business. I had like a blog at the time. So I was kind of in this like influencer world and I was getting access to all these amazing women and getting all this incredible advice. And I really thought there needs to be a way to democratize this and provide access to women to the same, you know, information I'm getting, because at the end of the day, we've all heard of the boys club. It exists. It's real. And they all Mm -hmm. share secrets and talk about what, you know, who their lawyer is, who their accountant is, what they're investing in. And women just weren't doing that. It wasn't part of our narrative at the time. And I really wanted to shift that to start creating those conversations. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, You can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Now back to our conversation. So when you start to scale it, right, you go from a from an event, really you're 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 planning events, right? Who knew that? You go from social media expert to now planning event. You're now an event planner. And and it's so much more than that. But great, beautiful, I think uh design is very much a part of create, cultivate, and using beautiful design as a way to sort of brand you has kind of been one of your trademarks. What would you say were the top two things that helped you scale, meaning helped you get more eyeballs, bigger community? And what was the gel that really propelled you forward? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, it was a few different things. One is, as I mentioned, like our first one was in 2011. The one where people started to know about us was in 2016. So that's five years of building the company up from 25 to 50 to 100 to 150 people attending these events. What really helped us, honestly, was Instagram. We were, to your point, creating these events that were really gorgeous. You know, I, again, as mentioned, was like kind of in this influencer blogger world, getting invited to these insane events that are super beautiful and like luxurious and have incredible flowers and gift bags and all these things. And my sister, who's an incredible wedding photographer in Florida, was like, oh my God, I would like kill to go to an event like that. And it kind of hit me. I was like, 
oh yeah, why aren't there events like this just for everyday consumers that want to go and like learn a bunch of cool information, but also like snap a cool photo, maybe get their hair done and like eat delicious food and drink some wine. Like why isn't there this level of production for these types of events that are currently held in like gross conference rooms? So (laughs) I basically like married the two ideas together and was like, let me bring that side of it in um, where we can create this really amazing luxe experience for, for these women, but also like deliver on the content as well. But all of the images that flooded Instagram from speakers and consumers created this massive amount of FOMO for mm-hmm. our brand. And because we were launching and we launched, we were launching all the time. So as soon as the conference ended, like on that Sunday, that Monday, we had another conference to buy tickets to. So we were, wow. um, everyone was seeing all the photos. What is this thing? Like, this looks so cool. And they're clicking on it. And then immediately there's a ticket for them to buy. And that was strategic. Yes. Yeah. That they wouldn't, ha- even if they had this, oh, I want to go, they'd immediately be able to, to purchase a ticket. Exactly. Because if you go to the site and you're like, oh, the next event's in seven months, like you're right. kind of checked out. And that's how conferences were really doing it at the time. Like every one of our competitors that I was looking at, they would host a conference and then go quiet for like six months and then be like, oh, we're mm. back. And I was like, no, mm. we're going to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving and keep creating content and become this media company alongside the conferences as well. So that was something that absolutely helped us. I think also the fact that to your point, like we created this world. Like it was so beautiful. There was nothing like it at the time. Um, And so I think we were also, when you were looking at your options, we were fairly inexpensive. We really have not changed our prices since we launched and we were accessible and beautiful and fun versus like, okay, well, this conference is cool, but it's triple the price, not as pretty. And, you know, maybe the speakers are great, but like, I want to go with Crate and Cultivate. So we really kind of honed in on that those two things. And then we also were wide enough with our content that we could reach a large audience. So we were talking about content creation, marketing, small business ownership, financials. Like we covered a lot in one span versus getting super niche into something. So take me from when you, when it was 25 to 50 to a hundred, did you ever have any down days? Like, what am I doing? Is this going to go anywhere? Or was there enough momentum to know you were kind of onto something? It, it actually took other people pointing it out to me for me to like realize it because I was running my other company, which was super successful. So I was like, this was your side hustle. This was a side hustle. So <laughs> it's like, I did not go full-time. This is actually a crazy story. I didn't go full-time at Crate and Cultivate until I think 2018. Oh my goodness. So for like six, seven years. Yeah. So I sold my agency business. I want to say in 2016, end of 2016, maybe. And then I had to work both jobs full time for one year. So I went back and forth between offices. I had different teams. It was a disaster. I mean, it was fine. I got through it. I also got married and like remodeled a house that year. I was like, I don't know how I'm alive. Um, But it was, I mean, it was a hustle. And like, to your point, I'm not a conference planner. I have no background in being a conference planner. So I was just like, making up what I thought would be a good schedule and flow and lunch plan and how much water we needed. And I mean, I always joke, but the first CNC that that 2016 event, which was 350 people was a disaster. Like we ran out of water. It was super hot that day. The venue didn't have AC. Like 
it just was, but it was me just figuring it out. And then we've obviously gotten so much better at it, but yeah, it wasn't like this great big moment of like, and we're successful. It was like a disaster (laughs) kind of as we were trying to figure it out. It was an upward climb for sure. We were failing upwards for sure. Now tell me you, when you think about back to, you said 2016 was like your really big event. What role did some of the really big name speakers play in garnering attention. You mentioned Instagram, obviously the visuals of just the beautiful, getting your photo taken in front of a great sign, you're with your gal pals, et cetera. But like what impact does, you know, a Jessica Alba or an incredible speaker who has created their own business, what has that done for you? Yeah. I mean, it's massive. Talent is huge. I think we've been really lucky in that we're really kind of first to market in putting massive content creators and celebrities on stage as entrepreneurs and not just that type of actress talent. And yeah, the first, but the first couple people that we had were, um, you know, Emily Weiss was like our first mm-hmm. keynote, who's the founder of Glossier, who had like just started her business. Um, and then we had Julian Huff, who came in quite early to talk about content creation. I was lucky that I had this network of content creators because I was in that world for so long mm-hmm. that were willing to come and speak and lend their time um, to the audiences. But um, we were just lucky that the word of mouth grew from everyone having a good experience, being part of it, that, you know, the next celebrity, the next influencer was like, oh, so-and-so told me it was wonderful. I'd love to do that. So um, Mm. really it's like word of mouth coupled with a really quality experience and making sure you're providing value to your speakers. And have you always bootstrapped or did you take VC funding? completely bootstrapped. Wow, <laughs> like, good for you. I, I always say, I'm like, I don't know if I would have done that over again. Um, yeah. but yeah, we were completely self-funded up until last year, March, 2021, where we had a majority of the company acquired by a private equity firm. But I'm really proud to say like, you know, at our peak, we were doing around 14 million in revenue with around four, three to 4 million in profitability. So we were a really well-run machine, a really strong, you know, self-funded business. And yeah, I had never, I was like, what do you mean like venture? (laughs) I just feel like it didn't exist. But I also feel like now that I'm in the venture world, if I went into any room and I was like, it's an event for women learning about business, like everyone would have been like, pass. Um, (laughs) So I'm kind of glad we were able to prove the concept on our own. How did you know when to begin to hire? So when you're bootstrapping and you're doing it all yourself, and you, as you said, you were doing a lot of the event planning yourself, despite not being an event planner. When do you say to yourself, okay, it's time to bring somebody else in who knows how to do this, or B, I can figure this out. Like, where is that tension between making that hire and just plodding on? Because I think that's where a lot of people are. Yeah. I think I did the, I'll just figure it out for like five years. <laughs> and, then, and then basically I was like, you need to hire people. Like, what are you doing? Um, so I wouldn't say I'm an expert at that, but um, now I, I've learned a lot of lessons, but I think definitely, you know, we invested in a lot of full-time employees to kind of manage all the different spaces. So editorial production, marketing, et cetera. Um, but these are massive events. So we had an army of freelancers that we worked with as well and still work with to this day. So there, the freelance um, community was like a huge, huge, huge part of our growth and success. Um, And I always tell that to business owners, like don't underestimate like the free, the power of a freelancer. It's non-committal on your end. You know, you obviously are able to, you know, see if it works before you commit to like a full on salary. So we've had a lot of freelancers go full-time for us, but I think the biggest shift or the biggest 
change in the company was when we brought on a COO and CFO, which was 20, I think 17 or 2018, maybe 2018, but it changed the business completely. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm I'm good at a lot of things. Operations and finance are definitely not ones that I love to do. I can do them just not well. And so bringing on that person really was able, we were able to completely scale and shift and change the company. And now you're on a completely new venture, right? The new money ventures. Can you explain what that is and why you decided to go on a new path? Yeah. So basically, you know, with Create and Cultivate, we were building community and conversation and we did that extremely well, right? We have, we reach over a million women now, which is incredible. And we bring conversations with some of the best women in the business. One resounding point that just kept coming up at every single Create and Cultivate, whether online or offline or in our social media is access to capital. And we've all heard the stats of, you know, only, I think it's less than 2% of capital goes to female founded companies, less than 1% for women of color owned businesses. And it's staggering. That's an insane stat. But one that also caught my attention was the fact that only 5% of venture capital firms are led by women. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you kind of put those two things together, the people asking for money and the people giving money, it's really, really kind of the core problem that we're facing for women to be able to get into that next level, take their company to the next step um, by bringing in that venture capital funding. So it was really a natural next step for me. I'd been angel investing for many years in female founded businesses. I'm an advisor to a ton of companies. And I just felt, you know, this was a really good opportunity for me to kind of, you know, for, for lack of a better word, put my money where my mouth is and provide mentorship as well as capital to help women grow their businesses. So New Money Ventures is a $20 million consumer fund focused on funding the next generation of female founded and female led businesses. We're stage agnostic. We invest, you know, seed to series B and we provide, you know, that level of mentorship that we hope will help women create businesses that are massive and make a lot of money and can really inspire the next generation. You know, it's really interesting. I'd be fascinated to hear from your experience, because you really, with Create and Cultivate, you were in an almost exclusively women-based business, right? You were yeah. you were speaking to women, you were about women, you were creating events for women. Was it difficult being a female entrepreneur? Did you run into some obstacles? And, and if so, how did you deal with it? Yeah. So all the time, I will say I felt like my first company was like a masterclass in entrepreneurship. So I did make most of my mistakes, I would say, at that business. But I, I mean, of course, sexism, um, ageism, all of those things, you know, come into play, equal pay, getting paid what you're worth. All of those things were definitely things I ran into and, and, you know, had to navigate and handle with creating cultivate. It was really interesting because our staff was primarily female. Our sponsors were primarily female and our audience is primarily female. So I was just like working with women all the time. Mm-hmm. And now going into venture capital, it's a whole other universe. It really um, is. It's very crazy. I'm like, oh, wow. Like I've actually have meetings with guys. Weird. So it's interesting to see also just the way men approach pitching their businesses or women approach pitching their businesses um, and just kind of being part of this community. It's it's fascinating. Um, mm. But of course, like I experienced, I feel like what most women, you know, experience when, when trying to build a business, improve their concept and get it out there. But you know, all of those lessons and all those experiences just made me a better business person. And hopefully I can provide some insights to women as they go through it as well. When you see women pitch versus men, what would you say is the biggest difference? Yeah. So I think it's, I think women and men just kind of run companies differently. Like, you know, and again, this is not, there's no blanket, you know, right, right or wrong or whatever, but men are 
hard, fast and spend money quickly and kind of go all in on their businesses. And women are much more cautious. I would say they're brand focused, they're conservative in the way that they're spending. And like, you know, cause I think the bar for success is so much higher for women. So they don't feel like they can't make as many mistakes or take as many risks, which is actually true. And I probably feel that exact same way, which is why I ran such like a highly profitable business, but probably should have had like 15 more people on my team. <laughs> um, but I think it's just like, it is, it's like this, it's, you can definitely see the, the risk factor play out in the way that the businesses are run. And so when you give advice to women who are pitching, you know, you never want someone to be anyone other than who they are, right? So if they are a cautious person, perhaps that is a superpower in, in a sense, because they're being very judicious with their money, right? Which if you're an investor, that's a good thing. But what do you try to push them towards or what do you try to draw out of them to bring their best self? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely was, I was extremely conservative when it came to cash as well in my business. So I totally understand it. And there's, again, no wrong way to build a business. It's just interesting to see. I think for women, it's my biggest thing is I'm always like, think about your own personal liquidity and your own personal success and who will have your back in the longer term. I think, you know, when it comes to raising money and building your board or having advisors or whatever, like you usually have to give those roles to people who are writing the biggest checks. And the people that are usually writing the biggest checks are white men, right? Because they have the largest funds. They've been doing this the longest. So I think there needs to be a little bit of a shift in terms of understanding, like, cause when stakes are high and there's a lot of money being made, or there's not a lot of money being made, like people will not side with the founder for the most part. And having been a founder Mm. and CEO, I understand what that's like to feel extremely alienated by your partners or your board or whatever it might be. So I think my biggest advice for them is think about your own personal liquidity and your own personal path at the company. And don't feel the pressure to necessarily always be the face or the seat. I think there's pressure for women founders to do both and do it really well, which is two full-time jobs and is very challenging. And also think about who at the end of the day will have your back versus trying to make the best financial decision for themselves. I'm fascinated by the fact that you were working two full-time jobs. You, as you said, you got married and then you, I believe you also said decorated a home at the same time. So clearly you're someone who likes to have a lot on their to-do list, right? How do you also find balance and how do you stay sane and in a good mental headspace? Yeah, no, my therapist at one point was like, what if you woke up and had no emails? I was like, (laughs) Like, would I even be alive? No, but it's actually, it was a really good question, but I, um, I love being busy. I love, you know, having my hands in a lot of different pots and like, you know, get a lot of fulfillment from that. Um, but I think for me, I've really learned to, know my own boundaries. Right. And so Mm -hmm. while work for me, I find very fulfilling. I also am very specific about doing my workouts in the morning, spending Mm -hmm. time with my family, like being cognizant of when I'm like 9 PM and still on my computer and also taking time for breaks. Like I didn't take like any vacations, literally my honeymoon, like two years later after getting married, but I now I'm like very cognizant of like being able to take breaks, vacations, trip, quick trips, like anything to reset. But it took me a long time to get there. I will say that. So I definitely was not a pro at it. And I definitely overworked myself for many, many years, but sometimes that's like what it takes when you're building a business. 
Well, I just want to say thank you to you because I think um, one of the through lines that I see, and please correct me if I'm wrong, one of the through lines I see to your whole career is really supporting women and giving them the resources, whether that's financial or whether that is knowledge to be their best self. And I think that's just a beautiful mission in life. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I've been doing this for the past. I mean, I don't even know how long, but I just want to be able to provide women the insights and access that I was lucky enough to either make mistakes and figure out or have access to, to provide that. Because looking at even just like wage gap and the financial disparity in terms of raising venture capital, we have a long way to go and mm-hmm. every little bit helps. And for me personally, I'm very passionate about women creating their own generational wealth because women will always spend with other women, whether it's, you know, the type of food you're buying or, you know, the clothes you're getting, or even the caterer you're hiring or whatever it is. Like, I know I personally make that a mission to spend with as many female small businesses. So the more money we can get in the hands of women, the more money will be spent with women, the, the larger, I mean, the gap will start closing. So that's just really something I'm passionate about. Totally agree. Jacqueline, cheers to you. Thank you so much for this great conversation. So nice to meet you. Yay. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.